Hello, everybody. Uh, wait, how do I do it? <laughs> ah, I think I say my name first. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having a brain fart. Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined, as always and forever, by my good friend, my business partner, uh, the whiskey wizard, the the man who who's looking more and more like Dumbledore mixed with Fidel Castro every day. Uh, Jason Johnston Yellen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, let, let's let's open here. Just quickly, letting all of our listeners know that that hmm. a very dear friend passed recently, and as you're talking about the Whiskey Wizard and the Dumbledore and the Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. This this was a man whose style I am clearly looking to replicate. And so the wonderful, wonderful Harvey Fry, yeah. famously out of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. famously associated, associated with Jack Rose Dining Saloon, mm-hmm. unfortunately passed recently at the age of 82. Yeah, And he was a, a great guy for visiting in D.C., he came through, spent time with us mm-hmm. in New York as well. At the Jubilee, uh, yeah. We, we had a wonderful time with him at, at St. Andrews <laughs> after an evening one time. I remember but, that. And his poem. He was a gr- <laughs> I, I remember him reciting that at you yeah. right across yeah. the table. And when I say reciting, he barked it yeah. at you from memory across <laughs> a table at St. Andrews. That was a wonderful, wonderful yeah. moment. Yeah. But I would I would go through to DC. I would see him at Jack Rose. I would pour him single cast nation stuff, and and he would always be unflinchingly honest mm-hmm. with what was being poured. There was there was never a sense of him playing favorites. There was never a sense of of people in an inner circle got it easier than those outside the circle. Mm, yeah, that's and, true. and and I and I always enjoyed that. Always, always enjoyed it. And it was wonderful as we started to make our mark in the industry. I would get phone calls and voicemails from Harvey. Yeah. And I'm not going to try and replicate his voice, but it was it was gravel being passed through the engine of a Harley Davidson motorcycle while you were pouring single malt, single cask, cast strength whiskey into your ears. It was that type of voice. And I, and I don't know if I've even got close to an approximation um, of of his voice. I remember. But when he's... Oh, go, go ahead. But when he started calling me up yeah. for six packs of our stuff <laughs> or saw some scores coming in from Serge Valentin at Whiskey Fun yeah. and would then call up and say, I need six of those. Yeah. Uh, that was a wonderful, wonderful moment. So unfortunately, Roberto and Bill and Harvey and Jared Card and myself had been trying to to schedule a whiskey get-together in D.C. Mm. COVID hit. It's been over a year. None of us scheduled it. We all wanted Harvey to hole up in his house. Ultimately, it wasn't COVID that got him. But we protected him through all of COVID and we didn't expose him to unnecessary risks. Mm. And I'm really bummed that I never got that final tasting yeah. with him. 
wonderful wealth of knowledge. But what were you going to say, Joshua? Just, it was one of these times when Serge reviewed, you know, Serge at Whiskey Fun reviewed one of our whiskeys, and I I think it was our Laphroaig 5. We got 92 points on that. And somehow, some way, because you were closer with Harvey than, than I was, but somehow, some way, he had gotten my phone number. I don't know if you gave it to him or Jared gave <laughs> gave it to him, but he called me up just excited and, you know, and like you had said, it's, it's like he's he's talking through gravel, gravel and cobblestone, you know, just... Rah. And he was just yep. so excited that Serge gave you 92 points. You got 92 points on a five-year-old Lefroig. And uh, he was just, he was so excited for us, right? Because like you had said early on, he he would always give us his honest opinion. And we'd always look to him for that. And Serge is obviously someone that that he respected a great deal. And I think... He was excited for us that Serge had had given us that type of score for for that Lafroig. I'll never forget that call. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the fact that we came out with a, an Aaron finished in Pinot, that's that's not a Harvey Fry whiskey. No. We we had a Cahoman four year old where he saw the potential for the distillery, mm-hmm. but it was still such early doors. That, that it wasn't really resonating. And then we had a, a Benriac, a peated Benriac 17, mm-hmm. which was Highland peat. Mm-hmm. And it, it really took having an established Isla distillery at a younger age mm-hmm. to pull that off, I think, really caught Harvey's eye. He was also a, a huge Lefroy guy and would tell me repeatedly <laughs> to my face, in DC at Jack Rose, that it was the older, like mid-teen, sherried Lafroigs that the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society were putting out. Mm-hmm. Those were the good Lafroigs. <laughs> Those were the good single casks. <laughs> and and so there were there were moments when you know we would we would get Harvey's attention, but and it's so funny because I did I did think of him with a, a special project that we're working on mm-hmm. that's an older Sherry Lafroig, and I'm going to be gutted that he doesn't have a chance to yeah. taste that one yep. and give us an opinion on that one. Gosh, the fact mm-hmm. that that bottling is now associated with two dear friends who have passed on mm. to the other side. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Wow. I feel, I feel a gut punch happening live while we're recording this. <laughs> speaking of speaking of gut punches, uh, I, I wasn't with you to to interview our guest for today. You weren't. Because, you weren't. Yeah. I, I felt we as made if the best of it. You did? I mean I had you been punched in the gut? Well I felt as if I had been punched in the gut. By something. There was no way on earth I would have been able to just sit for a recording. I, 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 I did, you know, I, I'm very cognizant. People don't like, you know, TMI, too much information. So I'm not going to put it out there. But the amount of explosive diarrhea I dealt with that day was just stunning. So I'm, I'm glad that you, 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 you took the helm and you 
uh, interviewed Nick I, without me. I did tell Nick that Joshua sends his apologies, but his stomach is turning cartwheels <laughs> and and casting out contents both north and south. Mm-hmm. And and I felt I felt like that downplayed it enough. Yeah. I felt like that wasn't giving away too much. No, no, I, I think I think that that nailed it. That nailed it. <laughs> Feeling it was, better now? I feel so much better now. Oh my gosh. That was a day, Jason. That was that was a few days, actually. So this is interesting. Nick brought this up that a pattern has developed right. where a number of different meetings have been set up mm-hmm. that involve the team at Single Cast Nation and the team at Holyrood, and Joshua hasn't made it to any of them. And it's, it's starting to look like uh, avoidance. Can I be honest with you, Jason? <laughs> I think you only ever are. If your explosive diarrhea comment is anything to go on. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, Nick Ravenhall, uh, a.k.a. Ravenclaw, is... So- <laughs> I'm giving you a Dumbledore oh, round of applause here. <laughs> he is so drop-dead sexy that I feel inadequate <laughs> in his presence. And the dude barely wears clothes. If you go on Instagram, you'll see him. He's He's wearing a Speedo at best, and... And I just, you know, I, I'm, I feel less than. It's funny you should bring up the Speedo because we didn't get into it in the interview. There, there just wasn't time. We, we you couldn't get into a, brilliant... a Speedo. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a brilliant chat. But he has, he's swum the Corryvreckan with whiskey crammed in his Speedo. I thought he was just pleased to see me. But it turns out it was whiskey crammed in wow. said Speedo. And so just very briefly over over email, he and I had a little chat where I was telling him about the Great Isla Swim. Mm. And obviously those chaps starting their swim by by you know doing a, a, a pagan ritual oh, yeah. in yeah. the, the Cory Vrekin with the bear fat. But the fact that Nick himself is a bit of an adventurer, mm-hmm. getting out there, doing things, exploring the world. Yeah, really really speaks to a chap with a like mind. Not that you and I are going out and doing any of that stuff, <laughs> but that we know people who do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been in spitting distance of people who do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, need sponsorship? Let's talk. <laughs> need someone to sign a check? We might be your guys. But I love that. I love that. Cory Vrekin connection mm. uh, with with our our chaps and the expedition and then Nick doing his little bit. So, you know, I, I know we'll speak again, both over drams and we've talked about breaking bread now for, gosh, a couple of years and that still hasn't yeah, happened. Yeah. And but it, but I, I think he'll be back on the pod as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. And Nick, if you're listening, hoping you're listening, it is nothing personal Shit literally happened. <laughs> Shit literally oh happened, and uh, uh, but but we will see one another, and we will sh- we will share drams and bread, and hugs, and uh, and there you go. Yeah. So so just to very quickly set the scene for for our dear listeners, Nick is currently in New Zealand. Mm. I continue to be in Virginia, and. We actually did a Google Hangout 
<laughs> with with him at his parents' house uh, off in New Zealand. He will he will tell you the name of the town. I'm not gonna attempt it at this moment because it'll just be embarrassing for me. <laughs> but 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 Nick will give the name of the town in the interview. But as we as we've been doing all the way through COVID, he recorded locally to his machine. I recorded locally to my machine. There, there were moments the Google Hangout wasn't particularly well behaved. And so he, there were moments when he and I were doing our best to kind of fill in the gaps mm. in a dropped sentence or in a dropped question or in a dropped response. So if, if the listener encounters any weird moments where the two of us seem to be on a different page from one another know that we were filling in buffering gaps. Um, however, the quality of the audio is not going to demonstrate that. So, <laughs> so I just wanted people to know that, that we, we had a brilliant time talking to each other. And we, we probably spoke an hour and a half, an hour and three quarters. And you'll tidy this up in, mm-hmm. in or you will have tidied this up in post and it'll be a hair tidier than the actual raw audio. <laughs> but yeah, Nick and I, and, and I can say this because you're you're never there being a, a third or fourth wheel, but Nick and I just thoroughly enjoy one another's company. And, you know, he's such an easy chap to talk to. His journey is fascinating. Hmm. And we spend a good portion of the the <laughs> the intro talking about that spark where did this begin where did this go then we go into talking about Holyrood then I've got some general questions for him independent bottling the New Zealand scene Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things I was saying to him is our listenership in Australia New Zealand is growing in leaps and bounds Mm. And, and one of the questions we took in our, you know, the mailbag portion of the Bill Lumsden episode that kicked off season five <laughs> was about the rise of Australian and New Zealand distilling. Mm-hmm. And Nick addresses that in a Beautiful. later part of the interview Beautiful. as well. So, yeah, we, we covered the gamut, just like Bill Lumsden. There's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't even bring up that we could bring up <laughs> in a future chat. But any any last questions for me, Joshua, before we throw it over to the chat. Of the hour and 37 minutes, because that, that's the actual time signature, by the way, hour and 37 minutes. Because I have Gosh, We I, were talking both before and after we hit record. <laughs> uh, well, the recorded portion was an hour and 37, and, and I haven't listened back to the audio yet, but that's my plan this evening. Of those minutes and that hour, how much time was spent on Hobbiton? I did bring it up that that's a thing that you've got eyes on. I would say a good eight or ten seconds were spent on Hobbiton. Yeah, okay. I I appreciate you just bringing it up, right? I just (laughs) threw me a little bone, the smallest bone imaginable, but... Yeah, it was, it was more along the lines of I'm going to spend months and months on whiskey things, and Joshua's going to go to Hobbiton, and then see what happens after that. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Let's hand it over to your conversation with the good Nick Ravenhall. Hold on tight. Here I come. 
Thanks for making time. Appreciate it. Always good mm. to see you. For the benefits of our listeners and to help them get a handle on who Nick Ravenhall is, let's let's jump in the Wayback Machine. How, how did it start? What was your spark, especially for us in the Northern Hemisphere? We're not overly familiar with how the spark comes to be in the Southern Hemisphere. So, so how did that come about? How old were you? Where were you? What oh, were the man. circumstances? You know, they, yeah. they used to be a Getting bit... Getting to know you. <laughs> they used to be a bit... I was thinking about this the other day. We're going in the old time machine. Didn't didn't feel like that much of a journey back in the past. And, <laughs> and then I started to realise I'm, I'm starting to run out of whiskies that I can drink, that uh, that I can afford, and I'm actually younger than. I'm like, oh, no, no, that thing's really clicking uh-huh. over. Um yeah, look, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to be here and ha- have this have this wee chat. And I was thinking about this this yeah. morning because I thought I thought this might come up. Like uh, Nick, how did your whiskey journey start? And it's yeah. it's all a bit ridiculous <laughs> when I think about it. I mean, my my first my first kind of interaction with whiskey was, you know, I'm going to go way back to '94 when Snoop Dogg had his hit Gin and Juice. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been invited to my first kind of beach party. You know, I, I live out at a place called a Pottery, which is on the coast of New Zealand. And uh, I'd been invited to my first beach party. I was 14 years old and I'd gone to my old man trying to be like the good son and said, hey, Dad, I'm going to a party. Um, can I have some booze? And he, he looked at me and squared me up. And he's a builder, right? So there's a little bit of a uh, little bit like, oh, I hope I get approval. And he went, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to. Oh, I've got the coolest dad in the world. And then he then he gave me two cans of of light beer, and that was it. And I, I even then I thought, oh fuck me, I can't go to a party armed like this. So, I with how old were you? Again? Fourteen, and 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 so with, with yeah, I thought you said yeah, fourteen, 14 okay. and with Snoop Dogg's refrain in my head, you know, sipping on gin and juice. I've gone to their liquor cabinet when they're not looking, and I've gone, I've gone. Okay, what am I going to nick? And I, I went oh, for jo- I went for Johnny Red, and I went. I don't know what this tastes like. I tried it neat, and I was like, I'm not t- I'm not touching this shit ever again. Um, <laughs> but then then went down the rabbit hole with gin, and you know, half a liter of gin topped up with water, then orange juice, and that was. I mean, this is a story for another time. It's big night, but I, I was right off whiskey <laughs> after that. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go near it, and that's the same for a lot of us down here because for and down under back then, your first whiskey experience was usually. Jim Beam and Coke and a white can, and mm. if you if you're a Flash, you could afford Jack Daniels or Johnny Red, but that was it. Um, and so I didn't really pay that much attention to it until I started bartending, and you know I, I, I started ah, bartending. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I started bartending as soon as I could, and you know I I, I was familiar with Drambuie, and at the end of a work shift, you could you could pour yourself a shot or something. And I was like, I didn't want to look like a, a Muppet. So I was like, Tramburi, that's mine, on my first shift. And everyone was like, whoa, that's really hardcore. And I was like, yeah, really hardcore. And then <laughs> that was it. Like, I mean, it's just, that's why I said the story is ri- ridiculous. And, um, and, and then I used to make rusty nails. That would be my kind of signature closing drink. And, you know, if, if someone was asking me okay. for a beverage or recommend something, and these poor bastards were getting really badly made rusty nails back in 2002, 2001. And then um, it so, wasn't. So what's in the rusty nail? It, it's not one that I've that I've got 
Easy Recall on Rusty Nail, oh, uh, oh, oh, Drambuian something. That, yeah, it's just it's an equal parts Drambuian and, and blended Scotch, and you know away you go. So okay, this this kind of carried on as 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 my my manly thing as I went from bar to bar to bar, and you know people be new bar crews were like, oh man, wow, look at you drinking that Rusty Nail, and, and then I ended up working at a bar called <laughs> called Whiskey, and Whiskey was New Zealand's first true whiskey bar. And this is uh, 2002, um, and it was it was it at the our founder Andrew Bruce, he, an owner. He had been over to LA. He was really into you know he, great rock and roll, and of course he was inspired by Whiskey a Go Go. So he he brought that back. Um, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was such a different bar for the time because everywhere else I'd been working had been you know you remember that that era of cocktails re-emerging it's cosmopolitan it was big mojitos lots of fruit and, and he was like right we're doing classics and you know I, I didn't know what a fucking classic cocktail was and we <laughs> yeah you know, I, I tried to well I thought Rusty Neal was classic well, I mean my my go-to thriller move was an apple martini and I tried to make one of those on the bar and I was told look if you make that here again you're not got a job and I was only, only a kid, and we had we we had we we didn't like I, I think about this. We didn't have internet. The only kind of resource we had for bar education was um, Australia Bartender magazine, which we would just rifle through those copies again and again and again. And you didn't have advocacy outreach pro- programs. There's no such thing as brand ambassadors. Really, that that was just kind of starting. And so you you I really you really relied on what you learnt from old New Zealand women's weekly cocktail books, what you could find at the local library or what the people around you could teach you. And at Whiskey, we had a, a crew of guys, um, it was all, all blokes, um, who were between the ages of maybe 26, 28. I thought they were ancient because I was just little and they'd all been to, <laughs> been, to, been to London and covered in tattoos and, you know, they just came back with a bit of knowledge and... Um, you know, instead of being allowed to make my rusty nail at close, we had educational sessions. And I mean, even now when I reflect, it was, it was pretty simple stuff. You know, we were looking at the classic malts from Diageo and, and drinking our way through them. And, you know, we, we had this hilarious situation where we couldn't get anyone to drink Highland Park because Highland Park in Auckland was like this, you know, it, it wasn't a bad suburb, but it was just a weird suburb out in East Auckland. So people were like, why would I drink that? And you're like, and I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know why we've, I don't know why we've got that on the shelf. Um. So yeah, so that's kind of, kind of what me. it was like. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of what it was like back then. Is we're we're not that connected, especially in New Zealand back then. We weren't that connected to the world in terms of the flow of information, and um, we really, you know in terms of whiskey influence it's it's booming over here at the moment there's so much interest for it um but back then it was really just you know it was quite a it was what wasn't even a thing it wasn't anything that unless you were a hardcore geek you you just it just wasn't across your world and if it did it might be johnny walker black and that's about it well i'm always curious in in meeting people and obviously you you and i have we've only hung out online a few times but i've always enjoyed the conversations but where did you find mm-hmm. your palate going as you were doing these cocktails, as you were getting deeper into that scene? What what were flavors that you were chasing? And then did you find that influencing your your single malt life? 
it, it kind of went the the other way, I think, for me, making drinks. So and there was a bit where I, I kind of, with the influence of, of, of the team that I was working with, um, I, I started to understood, understand that my, my, the cocktails that I liked to make in places before were just kiddie drinks, you know, just, they just taste like sugar and fruit and they didn't speak mm. that much to the spirit. And then I think like a, a lot of, a lot of people who fall into the, into like instant whiskey passion, you know, I was immediately at Isla. The first time I tried Lagavulin and Lafroig, I was just like, what, what is, what is this? And mm-hmm. You know, there, there were references to like the food we eat out here, like smoked fish is definitely a thing. We smoke our meats, but in the, in the liquid world, it, it was just like, so, um, it was, it was, it was a bit of a paradigm shift. It was like, well, what just happened to, to, to my world? And I started to seek in, um, my drink making to try and bring that depth and layering of flavors into my drink. So, you know, it, unless someone ordered, you know, a, a vodka cocktail. I wasn't making them anymore, and I was always I, I went straight to old fashions, and um, was desperately seeking mm. rye all over the place. Um, you know, in, on on the whiskey front, there was a, this bit where I was you, know, you make these weird rules up. I was like, you can only have your scotch with you can only have your, your, your whiskey with two ice cubes, and you know, then after that, I was like, no, no, just, just no ice cubes. <laughs> and I was like, add some water. Don't worry about that. Like you know, you just this this thing, but um. I mean that what happened. That's what happened, and it's still, you know, whis- whiskey cocktails is still something. I, I, that's what I'll choose to drink if I'm if I'm if I'm wanting to go and get that comforting moment of of landing at a bar. Um, you know, Ma- Manhattan is something that is, is just a drink that I've just got so much love for. Um, oh, I'm feeling a bit of regret now. I had this phone that was with me for half of my career. And I had all these photos of Manhattans from bars all over the world. I mean, I lost it, of course, but you know, there's just something with the with the with the layer of fla- layer of flavor, which which just be, you know, it's, it's a rabbit hole. We're in the rabbit hole. <laughs> it's it's true. It's, so I I came from, you know, being young, discovering single malt at university to discovering Lafroig and thinking, oh, this is it. This yeah. this is the bees bollocks, as we like to say, and. And taking literally two decades to discover cocktails yeah. and now seeing the value in cocktails and the flavor profiles and, and just really understanding single malt is single malt, cocktails are cocktails, enjoy them both. Absolutely. But don't, don't compare one to the other. Just no. enjoy the flavors in each one. Yeah, they, they, they're not, they, they, they just, you know, they're too things which can really shake hands really well and exchange really nice hugs with each other. And, and you know, arguments that I hear about don't mix this or don't do that, or, it's just why? What? Why say no? Like f- <laughs> taste is exploring and it's personal. So, you know, smoky, smoky Cokey is a great drink. And, you know, f- right. f- 15 right. years ago you would have been just got a hard stare from someone if you'd asked that. But I think it – I think it's also showing how much our palate is developing in, I, I hesitate to say West, but I say in our, these, our kind of Anglo countries, you know, where, where drink has, has been this very big celebratory thing you know, and we take it from zero to 60 pretty fucking fast. Mm-hmm. And, and now there's a, a little bit of, oh, well, actually we can, we can do, we still do that pretty fast, but be really flash at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> So, so speaking of that kind of 
move and speaking of cultures, what then took a Kiwi up to the Northern Hemisphere? I'm always intrigued by that part of the journey. Mm, I think there's there's two layers, right? There's a bit where in New Zealand we have, because uh, it wasn't straight to Scotland, it was via Australia first. and um, mm, Okay. Yeah, so I, I think... Com- but comparing New Zealand and Australia, I'm making some gross generalisations here, but here in New Zealand, it feels like we have a we have this very close connection within the country in to the UK, and you know I've, I've seen it now when I've been back home and watching the news, and you know I've got my got my partner live here with me, and she's from Gloucestershire, and you know she's like, wow, you've got a lot of British news on your on your TV, and I'm like, oh, holy crap, we do. And then 90% of Kiwis leave after we finish university and a lot we wash up in London. And then you start to think, well, actually, that's what our parents did. And they went after their grandfathers were in the Second World War because that's where most of their went. And then the next experience beyond that was their fathers who also went for the first one. And then you go beyond that and you're at people coming back this way. So I think they're like just without the whiskey connection, mm-hmm. there is this natural journey which happens of, of going going up. And, you know, if, if I think of where I'm sitting right now, if I flew three and a half hours, that's how long I have to go to hit Australia. Whereas, you know, if I'm sitting in London, if I flew that far, I'm in Moscow. Oh, wow. So this, it, it's... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, it's very different. And so there's this sense of you. We're always watching the outside world. We're always, um, you know, we're at the whim of what happens internationally, and we have a very outward facing country that way. So you you want to go and see it anyway. Like you don't want to just be like you know a, a lot of New Zealanders. You know, you'll talk to them, and, and part of our cultural fabric is the story of what our journeys around the world were like. Um, and then with mm-hmm. the with the whiskey lens on it, I mean, where that happened, it was a. When I was doing my when I was when I was bartender, I had this this feeling that we we're from we're in a very we were in a very immature space with what our bars were offering, and I felt you know we got tons of Irish bars here. I'm like Irish bars are great, but we're in fucking New Zealand, and you know there'd be like a a Lone Star down the road and TGI Fridays, and and, and my head was like, but but uh-huh. but where's 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 our things? Where's where's our place to express? the stuff which we stand for. So I had this like, I, was, I can't believe I'm saying this on this podcast, but I had this this vision that I wanted to change the face of New Zealand hospitality when I was a kid. And and I want yeah, and I wanted to I wanted it to to bring to life so that if if you came down to New Zealand and you walked into one of our bars that you got a sense of what it was like to be Kiwi, and you were mm-hmm. and and you know given this really welcoming hug from our culture. Um, so I had that, and then then I fell in whiskey hole, and you know there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time. Like um, our wine industry was was really becoming something that. New Zealanders were proud of rather than something we didn't know about. Um, 42 Below, the vodka brand, was making news up and down the country and overseas. And you know, our, our coffee culture was growing, cafe culture was changing. And I just kept sitting and looking at whiskey bottles going, well, why the fuck aren't we making this here? And and then that just became like it was like, right, well, when you go, you know, 
you're going to go and you're going to learn how to, I, I had this vision that I'd be this magical distiller where I was like, you're going to go and you're going to learn how to make whiskey and you're going to find a whiskey company. And as good as I was not Google didn't, wasn't back then. It was like Yahoo searching, you know, whiskey stuff and found out, <laughs> found out about Diageo. And I was like, all right, I'm going to work for them. And they didn't have an office in New Zealand. And, you know, I was in Australia, um, for another reason. And I, I got a job, I was working bars, but I got a job with Diageo and yeah, that was it from the moment I joined up with Diageo in Western Australia. I was just like, right to my boss, Peter Warsfold, I'd give a you know podcast shout out here. He was influential in my career. <laughs> you know, he, he's a West, West Australian AFL football player and really great bloke. And I said, look, I want to go to Scotland because my dream is to bring whiskey making back to New Zealand. And I feel like I need to go to Scotland to learn the trade properly. And, you know, after doing four years uh, with Diageo and, and WA, he, he, he made it possible for me to, to get up to, to Edinburgh and, and then it was gloves off. So, Wow. Wow. I might have known that about you at one point, but it falls into the mists of time, right? How, how, you, how people live their journey. And so Diageo got you up to Edinburgh. And so what, what were you doing? What was... The job, well, in in Edinburgh or yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually both. I'm I'm curious what you were doing in Western Australia and then also in Edinburgh. Well, I was, I was over there playing lacrosse. That was that was what I was I was doing, and I was just I was only I was supposed to see weird segues with life. I was supposed to go to Japan and teach English and play lacrosse up there, and then that all fell through because I. I, in the Japanese lacrosse playing system, you have to be at training five days a week. And the people who were going to give me a job took one look and went, no, nah, that doesn't meet your visa conditions. Job, <laughs> job, job, job done. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, oh, this, wow. what, what's happening now? And then um, <laughs> yeah, I've been, I went back to Western Australia because I'd been playing in a tournament there the year before and I found a club and um, wanted to play at a better level. And so I was just there. It was, I was, again, it was straight first year out of uni, you know, playing ball with the boys, working at bars at night time. It was, it was carnage. I wouldn't want to live that again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'd survive it, but um, I was lucky enough to get a job as like a little sales merchandiser. So my first proper adult job and my dad's hilarious because when I, when I left, New Zealand. He's like, make sure you get yourself a proper job. You know, he's a man of the tools. And, you know, he didn't, didn't see bartending as a real thing. Even now, he sees me on my computer, and I can just see him shaking his head. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I got this merchandiser job, and you know, my job was just to follow the sales rep after her calls to the different places and build. You know, Johnny Walker Promotional, Smirnoff Ice displays, and then it became a sales job, and you know, then kind of went up the ranks, which was cool, and then. Um, when I went back, when I, I came back to New Zealand before I went over, but when I came to Scotland, um, it was, you know, it was a weird thing because my boss has said to me, we can get you to, we, <laughs> we can get you to Scotland. We'll get your job lined up on the other side, but you've got to get yourself your visa sorted. And I was just mm. back then the visa, I was 28 and the visa thing met or it clicked over when you're 28. So you couldn't get your traditional working holiday one, right? So I was, I, was, I was doing interviews with distillery managers in Scotland, no no Zoom, no Skype, just a phone, um, right. ringing them, 
time difference. I, I, I remember speaking to, to the guy who was running Oban at the time and I was like, yeah, I'd like to apply for your um, visitor center job. And he's like, who is this? <laughs> With my accent, right? I'm like, oh, you know, and I was giving him like the romantic spiel about, about wanting to learn how to make whiskey. I got, I got laughed down the phone and then I got hung up on it. I'm like, fuck me. This is, <laughs> this is, this is not working. Um, so, you know, I, just to add to the story, I came back to New Zealand. I spent six months with mum and dad because I, I just was like, I'm just going to book the ticket. I'm going to go. I'm going to figure it out up there. Um, and then, you know, that, that I still needed a visa. So <laughs> my girlfriend at the time, um, this lovely lady I was seeing <laughs> was from Sweden and she was just like, why don't we just, why don't we just get married? That'll sort your visa out. <laughs> So, oh no! Yeah, so we we did. I mean, the, the things you sacrifice for for whiskey, right? So, we we went down to the registry office in Perth, and we we did the the marriage thing. We had to do practice vows. So the guy was standing there saying, "Right now, you say, um, I Kylie Minogue take you, Jason Donovan, as my lawfully wedded husband." <laughs> and I had to say the reverse back. We got that done. I forgot to tell my parents. I didn't think anything of it. And then we we're at the pub having a beer after. I thought, shit, I better tell dad. So I've rung dad. I'm like, oh, dad, I'm down at the pub. He's like, oh, good. How's it going? I was like, yeah, good. Um, just like, you know, I got married just now. It's not a big deal. Oh. It's not not a big deal. And he's like, okay. And I was like, it's just so that, that I can get up to get up to Scotland and get on with, with this whiskey stuff. He's like, okay, yeah, no problem. Get it. And then, and then, then like the little coward I was, I was, was like, so uh, you can tell mum, right? And he's, he's uh, – <laughs> He, he's, he's, he, yeah, I got my bollocks kicked when I got home, but you know, we, we, I got up to Scotland eventually six months later and here I was, you know, landed in, in Edinburgh and Whiskey World and all the dreams were about to come true. Um, and then I was, I was, I'd said, you know, Wooshia had lined up that I could go into operations. And so my, my expectation was, right, here we go. You're, you've done your sales time. Um, you're going into ops, <laughs> and, and I, I turn up at, at the office, and they're like, "Right, so here's the keys to your car. Um, you're going to look after this area called Perthshire and Tayside." I was like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, there's no ops roles available right now, but you you know you can do some sales." And I was, "Oh wow, yeah, okay, yeah." And I was, I was a little, I was, it, it was, it was a bit of a punch in the stomach because I was, I was like, "Wow, what, wow, this isn't what I came up here for." And then, you know, you just roll with it, just get on with it. You're here, you know, you, you, you got your visa, you're Giving okay. Your time. You got, just, just, just do it and figure it out. And I said, so where, where is, where am I going? And they're like, Dundee. So, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a shock for Dundee and it was a shock for me. <laughs> First walk, walked in the doors. So that, that, I mean, this is, I, I know it's got a bit convoluted, but that's how I ended up up in Scotland and, you know, the, the first six months, you know, it was a little shit. I just, I spent most of my time because my patch went all the way up to the Cairngorms and then it went out across to just uh, um, south of Aberdeenshire and then all the way down the coast. Mm -hmm. And, hey, there's some good distilleries in that bit of land. So I was, absolutely, yeah, I was, I was visiting them all. I'd be like, right, where's the next one? And then I'd look at my sales calls and I'd try and cobble enough sales calls together to rip around the sales course so I could go up to the distilleries and spend some time. Uh, and I mean, wow. it, it was hilarious because, you know, trying to plot a sales call, um, 
you know, around Dalwini. <laughs> it's not a thing. And, and even for the pubs who were there, you know, they, people would take the call because they'd never seen a UDV rep before. <laughs> They're like, check out this guy. <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the, they didn't even know where Diageo there. It's the UDV guy. What's he, what's he doing? <laughs> Wow! Yeah, what a place to pitch up with them, but but you got to see your Dalwini, you pulled it off. Yeah, I mean, it was it was actually a really good experience because I, I was spending that much time visiting visiting these places that, and and just because I was part of the company, I was being allowed in as a non tourist, and you know, and as as the guides understood that I was really there, not just out of curiosity, but out of passion then I got to learn more just by asking questions and being told the spiel, which wasn't your standard visitor center spiel. And the thing that I worked out pretty quickly was I'd make a terrible distiller and be useless at operations. Um, so I, I kind of, I kind of thought, well, you know, your job is if you want to do this dream back home is to learn the entire trade. If you're going to, if you're going to build build something in New Zealand and you should really make the effort to learn the ins and outs of everything because the, the distilling aspect of it, the warehousing aspect of it, I started to get a sense that it was just one key lesson. You shouldn't just go and learn to distill and then but you've got a you've got a functioning business. So it was it was a it was mm-hmm. a, it was it was a really, really great opportunity. So and fun fun fun. I love the fact <clears throat> I, I love the fact that even through all of that, all of that journey, you were still thinking about what you were going to return to New Zealand to build. Yeah, like like your your mind never, or maybe that's maybe that's the question. At what point did your mind move away from? Never. Assuming it has never, right? never, <laughs> never. It's I, I think there's just been these moments where in in my journey, I've taken the builder distillery idea and gone. Okay, that's something that is still there, but you've got to focus on this because this is what you're learning now. Um, but mm-hmm. the 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 you know the South Star, so to speak, has always been, you know, get get home and build. But also, there's a bit where I feel like because of the journey that I've been on, and it's been such a long one. It's been nearly twenty years now, and it's been through many different aspects. I think. One of the things, and I suppose this will come up when we talk about Holyrood, is you know we're, we're in this really brilliant space of new distilleries opening up all the time, and, and and people realizing their dreams. And I think if you're going to be part of a new whiskey conversation, you've got to have something to say. And for mm. me, thinking about New World and New Zealand and my journey, you know, there's definitely an immaturity at the start of it where it was just like I want to learn everything about whiskey. And then as that happened and those realizations took place and it became more than just knowing what I like flavor-wise, but a bit more ops and all that kind of stuff, then it became actually more questions mm-hmm. on why. What why why? Apart from this idea, this calling that you had all those years ago. So yeah, it's um it's matured over time, I guess, is the right way of looking at it. <laughs> so, so I know there's I know there's more to the journey, and there's no other, I know there's how we ultimately met. But yeah. with that mention of Holyrood, there, you are now the managing director of this new distillery. And in our last episode of Extra Extra, Josh and I were talking about the Falkirk yeah. uh, Distillery yeah. Company, and they kind of 
started, there was a, a project a long time in the making. And then once they actually hit go on distilling, it was in a global pandemic. Here we are, your managing director of Hollywood in a pandemic. I don't even have a question because <laughs> it just seems absolutely <laughs> mental. And and so what what are you seeing? What's that like up close and personal being an MD in the, the teeth of a pandemic? I mean, you guys always calling us colonials when you get yourselves in the shit, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 it, it's not pretty, but also, um, I think you know, coming into coming into Holyrood as as in the role that I'm in with the pressures that the business is under, um, what what everyone's experiencing at the moment, it just puts a laser focus. On, on, mm. on what needs to be done. And I think one of those one of those things which is is, is where Hollywood has come on that journey was you know the, the original business plan was was really built around tourists popping over from the Royal Mile coming down and seeing us and mm-hmm. you know and under any other condition that's a really really strong business plan. Um, but what what's happened with that that kind of center of the world being taken away from us? It's, it's meant that we've really had to examine quite quickly what it is that we actually are. And I feel that, you know, as much as as much as much having a visitor centre and knowing that those numbers de-risk your plan, help you lay down more stock, blah, 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 what had, what had happened was is it had shifted the focus away from, from what, we, what we truly need to be doing, which is being a whiskey producer. And mm-hmm. by shifting the focus, I mean I don't mean that what Holyrood was um, wasn't a whiskey producer because there was a lot of really really good thinking about what we what we are to do and what our mission is and the kit which was put in was built to reflect that you know the the, the thoughts which are at the heart of Holyrood from it was established was to focus on flavour. Um, and the thoughts were not to cut any corners on production and bring to people the whiskies that they'd always have wanted to try. And all that rings true. But when you've got a massive expense like a like a visitor centre to run, you know, you start mm-hmm. compromising between those two things. And I think the business had just gotten itself in a, in a bit of a tailspin where it, was, it just wasn't sure on, on what, what had to be done. And so coming in, you know, I have come in hot. I'm still fresh off the boat. It was first of January was was my first day. Um, it was it was really it was really quite in terms of the pressure, quite easy to with without the emotional connection to the business or the liquid or the journey, just to go, mm. hey, you know, it felt like a little bit like triage, right? Like you just like in, you're like, right, okay, you know, we're just going to lose that leg for now. <laughs> And 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 you know try and try and stitch your head back on like that. That's kind of what it felt like a little bit. Gosh, I've only had one coffee. That's a visual. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm, I'm well, that I, I'll, I'll be very open. You know, there was a, there was a point where the business was down in terms of cash flow. We 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 were we were twenty two thousand pounds in the bank, and that's that's a vicious place to be in. You know, wow. and, and, and one of the things which really, you know, 
I, I, took, I took really, really seriously was, you know, here I am 20 years, like in my head, molding the distillery I want to build. And here I'm talking to Rob Carpenter, you know, founder of, you know, of Scotch Malt Whiskey Society Canada. And, and I'm watching his journey, which is a lifetime's journey in whiskey as well, imploding in front of his face. And there is just this deep call of respect for that journey that I felt, which was like, right, what, what can we do right now to save a business? Um, but it's, and that's, that's how we operate. It's so interesting listening to you, knowing from your own journey that you would love to be in that position of building something. And then a moment ago where you just said, I had to go into this without the emotion. You know, and so I, I'm thinking about how your own journey is reflected in this as you're trying to say, here's what we have to do financially. Here's how we recover from wherever we are. That's that's really telling. And and the fact that you are busy saying like, OK, that leg, you're gone. Head, we got to get you reattached. And so, so what, what did that yeah. look like in whiskey terms? What, what have you done since January 1, if, if you're okay sharing that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just to touch on that emotional piece, the, the, the divorcing the emotion was a little bit of just internalizing any worries and fears about just saying the hard thing. And then it kind of, be, kind of became reversed. It was like, we're not, I, I just felt we're not losing this thing. We, we will mm. not lose this distillery, you know, and, and that, that became the emotional driver. And it was like, we'll not lose this distillery. So I won't accept anything less than the hardest of conversations mm-hmm. and, and truth and really looking at these things honestly. And there will be no, you know, just setting the table for everyone to say that there will be no acceptance of anything less than putting everything out there. And, it, it, you know, all the leadership team bought in on it. You know, they they just they they're in a place where they're like, okay, no, we 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 need to make some really strong decisions now. And then, I mean, it was it just went back to basics, really. It was like, what is you know, what what is that getting into boring finance speak? But what's our cash position? Where where are we mm-hmm. cash wise? And how much are we spending? And and when are we? When is this all going to blow up in our faces? And um, you know. It, external to the business before I joined properly, still having conversations backwards and forwards. And the early, the first early decision that I made before I was even the business was shut everything down, just shut it, shut it all down, close. You know, we we're already in closed in brand home because we had another, another lockdown, but it was shut ops, shut warehousing, shut production, close it all up, zero, all of our costs as far as we can. And then let's try and get our our feet underneath us because we were just we were just bleeding money. So we, we did that, and the, the team responded really well. I mean, we dropped that early, just like first of December. Everything was closed by by mid mid December, um, functionally as a business, and we went into stasis. And then wow, in my head, yeah, it was in in, in my head, it was like right, well, you know, forget about the brand home. That's that's the leg that got chucked away. That's not a thing for us to even think about right now. Um, mm-hmm. And put, you know, we the government gave us until end of April, which has now been extended till end of September, furlough. So everyone on the brand home side of the everyone went into furlough, but with the brand home people knowing that they would be the last to come out. 
and it was like, look, sorry, team. If we can find other jobs for you to help in the meantime, but you're you're all on ice until till we get this moving. And then it was like, okay, so brand home, that competing distraction from before, that's that's gone. Let's be a distillery. Right? We've mm-hmm. we've got a fucking gin still that's been turned on five times. I'm like looking at this thing when I went there. I was like, first of all, it's like, what's this? And they're like, oh, that's our gin still. I'm like, how much gin are we making? And the answer is fuck all. I'm like, oh my god. You know, it's, it's, so it was. It was like, how how can we how can we use the assets that we have to to you know, our customer might not be a visitor coming through the through the brand home anymore, but our customer could be some someone else. Mm-hmm. And so, I have a three point plan, and I'll, I'll share it because it might help some other small distillers out there who are in the same pain as us. And, and this is something that I, I truly believe in: is whiskey community is a community. But the three-point plan that we did was we went, right, shut it all down. And the first one is, is what kind of partnerships can we do with people who might want to have whiskey that meets their needs for all intents and purposes, fillings? And then the second bit was once we had gotten through fillings, what what partnerships could we do with indies? Because the way I looked at it, because this is part of my previous world, was I was looking at, you know, looking at people who are in – the broker side of the business or in the indie bottling side of the business and the gripe is all the same. I can't get good liquid. It's overpriced. It's not the stuff that I actually want. My business is suffering because the people that I'm talking to actually know their stuff and I can't get them liquid. That that makes them happy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, it's, we're sharing one of them and, yeah, you know, this is, again, whiskey community coming to the rescue. You know, I, Doug McIver from Berry Brothers, I reached out to him you know, we've had we, we we see each other over the years, bump into him to various events and have a have a quiet beer and a chat, as we all do. I say, look, Doug, yeah, these desperate fuckers have made me the MD of Holyrood. <laughs> Can you help me out? I need a I need to move some liquid and 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 he had this great conversation about, you know, he he wanted to get some liquid that was interesting that they could use for Berry Brothers. We have a kit that can be flexible and. One of the nice things for us is is we're not in because we're so young and we're the new wave of Scotch whiskey. We're not beholden to the old commercial models that the other malt whiskey distillers are, are, are geared towards. So, you know, I said to him, I said we can make something for you at a volume which is probably going to meet your needs. Uh, and we creatively we went backwards and forwards, and we ended up and we're running them at the moment. You know, we've we're doing three new make styles. And we're focusing on yeast. We're doing champagne yeast. That just came off. Uh, that comes off this Friday. And next week, we are on to Bordeaux. Two weeks running that. And then the week after that, we're on to Burgundy. And you know, he was great. He's like, wow. great, sign off. We can use that. And we can help pay and keep your lights going for you. So, you know, we, we built a, a number of partnerships like that where, you know, they, they've helped us keep, keep the distillery alive and keep people in jobs. And, and then following on from that, it was you know, in, indie collaborations. Like you and I, we, we've chatted about can we play with yeast and can we play with, with barley and you know, all of those kinds yep. of things where you know, we can speak to the independent whiskey community. I mean, I used to be you know, as the MD of Atom Brands for, for a while and boutique whiskey was, you know, we do anything and everything. But we, we, I really grew a respect for independence the moment I started working in independent whiskey space. Whereas before, when I was at Morrison Bamore, you know, we had Mike Keeler, our MD, who's like, 
buy all of Albemarle back and never sell to Indies ever again yeah. and indie, Indies are the death of our industry and, you know, like it just was a really, you know, a, a balancing a, a balancing view where I thought, well, we've got a kit where we can really make these, we can examine ideas and then we can bring them to an audience who wants these ideas examined. So that's the next part of the project. And the third bit is, is, is actually turn the gin still on and use it. Ah, um, yeah, <laughs> it's sitting that's, there. That's, it's sitting there, but it's, it's also, you know, I said at the start, or I've been thinking, I don't know if I said at the start, I can't remember now, but we've got to have something to say. So if we're going to make a gin, you know, what are we saying? And what are we saying in our space? And, you know, I've said to said to the guys, our space isn't gin space, our space is whiskey space. So if we make something mm. that is a gin, then let's make it from a whiskey maker's perspective and let's put something out here which isn't, isn't I know there's lots of, um, our brother and sister distilleries who put gins out there. I think I, I feel like if we're going to do it, we have to take a step beyond the narrative which is out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's 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 where 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 we're at with uh, with things. Well, one of the things that that Joshua and I were discussing, again in talking about Falkirk, but just really talking about any new distillery, is there always seemed to be a, this three prong plan, and I really appreciate you sharing your in-house plan. From the outside looking in, it's having a visitor centre, it's having a place for people to eat or buy product, so they walk out the door having put money in your till. But then this third leg of the stool seems to be cask sales direct to consumers. And yeah. and I believe that's a, a part of, of Holyrood as well. Um, do, yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about that and where you're at with that program? Yeah, I mean, the, that that kind of folds into our, our full cast program. Right? So I, I kind of consider the, the bit where we're doing the work with Berry Brothers and then the work with Indies, then this is just another arm of that. Mm. And it was it took a bit of work to get there because sometimes I'm nervous when I see cast programs being put out like that as, as, a, as a blatant cash grab. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. You know, we we are definitely doing it to raise funds for us to help us run our business. But at the same time, you know, I I don't I, I was nervous of that space because you know I don't know how how up to the play your listeners are with cask world like that level of cask world right now. But mm-hmm. there are lots of changes happening in in the single cask trading game where you know it used to just be sell single cask to independent bottlers. Now they're in whiskey investment funds and prices being overinflated. And I'm really nervous about our our whiskey going into that world, especially mm-hmm. before it's come of age. Um, so when we looked at that as a model, it was like, well. What what are we actually trying to do here as a business? What what is what is our mission? And it, it came to after lots of backwards and forwards and lots of thinking about you know those things I said earlier about flavor and quality and all of those things. Everyone's doing that in our space at the moment, mm-hmm. and it felt like it wasn't really what our mission was, and it became clear that our mission really is to do all those things. But they just support the overall kind of unleashing of Edinburgh as a whiskey destination. Like, and even when I say it, I came up with this uh, unleashing Edinburgh's whiskey potential, which sounds a bit naff, but it also just every time I hear it, I'm like, why the shit has no one built a distillery in Edinburgh before? Like, you know, why Why have we – and I used to live in the city. I used to live in Leith. I'm like, why do we only have the Scotch whiskey experience? Now, I love the Scotch whiskey experience. 
But it just seems the obvious tack on is to build a yeah. distillery there. Mm-hmm. Now running a distillery in Edinburgh, I know why a lot of people don't fucking do because it's so fucking ex- it's so fucking expensive. <laughs> it's a nightmare getting your effluent out, and your grain in, and oh Jesus, uh-huh. yeah, that's a whole other thing. So, so when that when that became when that became a realization that that was our mission, it be, then became a thing of oh great, well we've actually got something that we could make and we can put it out in casks, we can put it out at a price which isn't offensive to me personally and hopefully to other people. And so we got to go on this really cool rabbit hole of making whiskey for ourselves to share with share with our, with hopefully our friends and family and our fans. So we, um, I mean, it's live now. You can find it on our website. But we did this this cool project where we're like, oh, it was one of those those whiskey chats. Was like, oh, imagine if we did local barley. You know, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that'd be cool. It'd be great to find a local farmer and, and get local barley." And blah 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 blah. And then then we've got this 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 great kid, Elliot Rogerson, who's come over from Stewart's Brewing, who's part of our ops team. And and Elliot's a brewer. He he he's like, "I'm a brewer before I'm a distiller." And he's like, "Oh, we've got to throw Edinburgh ale yeast in there." And we just went on this big. You know, McEwen's and export kind of like <laughs> rant about you know <laughs> youngers. It was it was cool. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a beer geek as much as I'm a whiskey geek. We're like pulling that apart, and like all of a sudden we went, "Holy shit, we've got something here!" Because we're like, if the if the if the barley's from the city and the yeast, and you know Edinburgh yeast, if you look at them historically, they were passed backwards and forwards between the brewers. So the brewers even with competing breweries, would share their yeast to help maintain consistency and, mm-hmm. and fresh yeast and keep keep everyone's beer right. You know, we're like, oh, this this is actually Edinburgh's story here, right now in our hands, barley and, barley and yeast. And then, you know, there's a bit there where, because one of our mindsets is looking at, you know, one of the one of the, the kind of challenges of throwing at the ops team is let's let's break whiskey, you know, let's break whiskey in Scotland. Let's, <laughs> they're like, what? And I'm like, well, you know, Let's look at different ways we can achieve flavor. And and so we're doing a lot of work on specialty malts at the moment. And, you know, we've tried the chocolate malt and we, we're starting to see things where, you know, brewer's malts are giving us flavor profiles which work in the same way of taking the faints away as Isla whiskey, Isla peating levels do. So now all of a sudden we're like, oh, man, if we if we took an, an old 80 shilling recipe and we toasted some of those barleys so that we could get that kind of roasty flavor coming through the new make and then just – completed itself when we're like well what casks do we put it in because there's no edinburgh casks and then we were like of course there is your leaf was a, a, a hub for sherry importation into the uk so we, mm. we 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 just by by talking and sharing because everyone in my team except for rob and me uh, and david are all from edinburgh really and so they're really proud of where they're from and they've just been aching to speak about where they're from and you know, that's also a little bit about whiskey is, is right. You, you, there is a localization to it. There is a cultural fabric. There is all the energy excitement of telling a story. Um, and so that's what we put together. So, um, and that's, that's part of that cast program. Well, and, and this leads in beautifully to, to another conversation that Josh and I had started in the, the extra, extra episode, which is we're now witnessing a rise of the lowland region. The, the lowland region has been, <laughs> depends who you ask, slowly or quickly dying uh, over the, the last kind of period of time here. And then we see 
you obviously Glenn Kinsey held it up and Alkintoshin held it up. But then we saw the the new ownership at Bladnock. And then we yeah. saw the, the the purchase and build of the Annandale distillery. And yeah. then we just talked Falkirk. Now we've got Holyrood. There's also the boys in charge of the Leith distillery. Um, yeah, and Boddington's and Crabby's. Right. And, and I, I'm sure that we're going to see more as well. And so, yes, on one hand, you're telling this Edinburgh story, and I, and I like it a lot, and I'll be following closely. But you're also part of a group representing a lowland region. And so mm. for Holyrood going forward, do you see yourselves taking ownership of being lowland? Is that going to be less the story and the city is going to be more the story? What do your eyes see looking forward there? <laughs> you know, just even listening to you there, I was like, fuck me, there is a lowland region worth of distilleries coming out that would work. Yeah. So that, I mean, because that, that's not been our focus. Our focus there's, there's two things. There is making Edinburgh a legitimate whiskey destination that people who love whiskey will go to. And, and, but then there's another journey for us, which is uh, I just call it earning our fucking stripes. Mm-hmm. Like it's that's we've, no we've got to earn it. Yeah. No shortcuts. We've got to earn us. We've got to earn our space. We've got a lot of tradition that we have respect for. And we've got a lot of, a lot of, uh, I think opportunity not to step beyond that tradition, but do our own interpretation of of where our journey is, um, and even even as you say that that lowland piece, my, my my stupid brain's like shit. You should be reaching out to all those boys after you get off this call and just say g'day because one of the things we want to do is be way more collaborative. And we've started with the indies and started talking. You know, we um, got a great chat uh, with with Ali Walker. You know, mm-hmm. him and I came up in different parts of Whiskey World together and stayed in touch during the years. And we, we got a chat going with you. But what I'd love to do is with this, and I just call them the small distillers in my brain. All of these new distilleries, which are like fighting hard in this 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 really tough space. I, I think there is a there is a piece there where we can all work together to just tell our own stories, whether well, that's Lowland or not. Well, and, and that's the part that's interesting to us because over the course of my journey since the mid-90s, I've only mm. really seen the death of the lowland region. And it's quite yeah. nice now, you know, almost almost 25 years into this, to, and yes, it makes me feel like an old fucker, but <laughs> it's nice to be seeing the rebirth of something. And so yeah. when we saw Kilhoman open on Isla, well... Gosh, your Isla, and what a place to be! And you and I have talked yeah. about the role Isla played in in our own, you know, burgeoning journeys. Yeah. But then you saw uh, Kilcarran, right, the Glengyle Distillery, to keep Campbellton going as a region, and you know the, the J. A. Mitchell family and Headley Wright kind of giving two fingers to kind of region designation. But now it's been very easy to run away from being a lowland distillery or having to yeah. work extra time to validate the region. Oh, you're grassy. Oh, you're light. Oh, you're vanilla. Oh, you're citrusy. Okay, tell me something new. And I think you are. I, I think with adding Edinburgh to that equation and adding your know, beer malts, the conversation we've had with Trent Tilton at San Diego Distillery or with Matt Hoffman at Westland, right? There's a role for beer malts and beer yeasts, yeah. wine yeasts. Yeah. Kilhoman yeah. are now playing around with, with wine yeasts as well. So 
There's a whole world there that's not just your region, but but also recognize your region and see how you could play that to a strength. Absolutely. And when I when I think about the regionality of what you're talking about, for us, we look at it as a mindset. You know, there's a lot there which we're trying to bring from our home. And, you know, we've got a, a, a PhD project which we're doing with Harriet Watt at the moment where we're working through um, how specialty malts work through the mashes and through distillation. And that's something that we're, we're sponsoring ourselves. We, we, you know, we cover all the costs on that operationally. Um, nice. Just because, you know, Harriet Watt's part of our home and brewing is part of our home, yeast understanding is part of our home. And even when you take a step back with Edinburgh, with if you want to go full geek back to Edinburgh Enlightenment and the way that the city has got a very intelligent, questioning, curious approach to almost everything, then that becomes kind of the our terroir, our mind terroir, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Where mm-hmm. how do how do we? Because there's no way we could we could operate or act like an Isle of Distillery, but we can we can do our best to make whiskey that tastes like it. But what's the why? Why why would we do that? And I think that's that's the most important thing we're aiming for is is, is staying close to our why and staying true. I'm so glad that that terroir itself isn't controversial enough that you would go and throw mind terroir on top of that (laughs) (laughs) and just overly complicate this bloody conversation surrounding terroir. (laughs) I've thought thought about it. I've thought about it for so long, right? Like, and and I I do, I mean, I made mind terroir up there on the spot, but I, I feel like, like there's, when, when I look at it and I think about it, I think, well, of course these whiskies all kind of taste in a similar style because you're going to have families who worked across different ones and who maybe work across two or three or, you know, everyone's using similar raw materials from a similar place or there's, there's knowledge. Like whiskey is, you know, I, I love the bit which we get to control as humans, the bit that we get to mm. engineer and work towards mm. and the boundaries which we give yeast to work in and the cuts that we get to make and all of that kind of stuff. I love we put all that work in and then we just kind of give it up to God and chuck it in a cask and go, cool, well, let's see what happens now then. It's, <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. And so, like, I, I, that's, that's going to – I might keep mine too, why, actually, because that's <laughs> just true. <laughs> Just trying to keep keep the, those ideas of of well, where does your why do we make? You know, I've, I've got a, one of my best friends, Duncan McRae, um, who's speak at William Grants, and and you know, he's brilliant to talk about the thinking of things, and you know, he's he's a, he's a he's an outstanding marketeer, but he's a whiskey man through and through, and he's constantly asking the why, the why, the why, the why, the why, and it's yeah. a powerful question to ask when you're making stuff. Because if you're not making it traditionally, then your why has got to be clear. And, and I mean, it can be a why of passion because I love it, or it can be a why of exploration because I want to know more. But I think, you know, if we, with, with all the new distillers and all the new world whiskey markets, whiskey producers coming on, you know, that examination of why seems to me to be the mind tower which connects <laughs> us all. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so a minute ago, you were just talking about uh, Atom MD, that boutique whiskey company, and you've got yeah. this, uh, I think, quite unique position 
of having been on both sides of the, the IB divide, the independent bottler divide. And so what did you expect going into independent bottling? And then what did you learn while you were in there? Yeah, it's a, a massive question. Um, I didn't have that big expectations on the IB stuff when I first turned up at Atom, Mo- mostly because I didn't understand boutique. Like I did, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, and I think there's a bit of me, you know, uh, there's still a little bit of me, which in some ways can be a bit traditionalist. And you know, I was looking at the labels, I didn't get the in jokes, and. I was kind of like, "What? I don't, I don't, I don't get what's, I don't get what's happening here." Um, and then also, the original, the OG job was to get as many whiskey advent calendars out there as possible, and also mm-hmm. build bathtub gin. Um, mm-hmm. But then, then as as I was as I was traveling around the world and opening up the export markets, you know, our, my distributors would be naturally drawn to boutique because they'd had enough of gin. They're like, "Why? Well, okay, bathtub, blah." let's talk about boutique and um i think that's where i really started to get under the skin of ibs properly i mean we've done you know i used to work in scandinavia for for, for half half a decade working whiskey up there where you know that's where i first met doug mcciver from berry brothers and we did a bunch of stuff with Stuart thompson from over at ian mcleod and we do the chieftains and we would do we do bottlings right but mm-hmm. um I don't think you you really get an appreciation for the power of the conversation that an indie has until you're actually working mm. as part of an indie. And you know, we we had it was it was really nice. It was it was always about the whiskey, which is always my favourite conversation. You know, it was was never you know, the the. I think what I I learned was that our labels and our way of of putting things out there. It, it made a, a kind of break with the heritage storytelling that you do as a as a brand owner, sure. um, and I think I think with an indie, and I think people, you know, your whiskey fans, which are coming to to, to try your whiskeys, they're they're really there's a lot of trust between that relationship of the people who buy from indies and the liquid that an indie has to get their fans, and the fans, you know, they live and die by your quality, and so then your job becomes really easy. In theory, which is get get great get 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 great quality for an acceptable price, and and that was really yeah. that was really revealing. And I, I think there's a lot that that brand world and indie world can can learn learn from each other. And I think you know it, it, I've, I've brought that mindset into what I'm doing at Hollywood is that having a strong relationship with the indies, you can look at it as commercially advantageous because that's a great thing to do for, for our business. But at the same time, and it's, and it's wholeness and fullness. I'm not just saying this because, because you're an indie, but it is something where you can have these really powerful conversations. You know, it's, it's, it's the whiskey fans who are buying from indies who have got the most to say about the category. Mm. And while they're mm-hmm. they, they make up the smallest part of, of whiskey purchases, they're also going to tell you, all of the red flags are the things which are wrong with the industry or stuff that they're not happy with. And the stuff that really needs to be paying attention to, because if they're thinking it, you know, 10 years later, mainstream's thinking it, 
You, it was it was it was the whiskey geeks who discovered Japanese whiskey first. You know, now my my bogan lacrosse mates are, are, are drinking Nikki from the barrel, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, maybe it's time to move on. You know, it's a, it's a little bit it's a, it's a little bit like that, right? So, um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but it was it was just you know, it, was, it was it felt like a revelation more than anything. And, and for Atom, Boutique became the mainstay for our export business. Yeah, that was that was where the the real opportunity was for us was was going out there with a you know a bit more of a modern thinking uh, indie bottler mm-hmm. indie bottler who you know had, what we wanted to do was bring bring exceptional liquid regardless of where it was from to the world and that we wanted to build a trust relationship with our fans that you know when we when we put something on the table that whether it was from Australia or Switzerland or Finland or Germany that they go okay cool well I trust these guys if they're putting it here then it's something worth me having a look at um, and that's also why we we built out the, the the small bottle set so we could also make that we, we just kept trying to make good liquid accessible um so yeah yeah but it's it's so interesting when you talk about trust and, and absolutely joshua and i agree with you on that wholeheartedly and it takes a while to build up trust and you can lose it all too quickly and so yeah. tr- trust is hugely important but it's it's interesting to us when it comes to some of the the larger brands who have no interest in independence and don't see the value of their their brand it's not even their brand it's just their distillery being in another's hands and so for you with Hollywood it's really wonderful to be having a conversation just like we've had with Glenn Murray just like we've had with Aaron and Westland you know Wild Turkey it's wonderful to have these conversations where somebody actually sees the value in us and then we mm. can partner on interesting projects. So that, that's that's a, a little bit of a watch this space at this time. But I, I thoroughly enjoy the conversations that we've been having and knowing that, mm. yes, you're in charge of a distillery, but you also see the value an independent bottler brings to the table. Yeah, and it's it's... There's a maturity in the markets which is happening at a rapid rate because the exchange of information now and the transparency of information just makes it a lot easier to take yourself from I've got a passing interest in whiskey to being you know, feeling quite educated on your palate. I, I tell you, man, if, if you ever launch a podcast, you're coming after One Nation Under Whiskey because you have just set up the perfect transition into... <laughs> Our listeners in Australia, New Zealand, reaching out to us, and, and, and we, we had a question actually in the Bill Lumsden episode, which was, how much do you, Jason and Joshua, know about Australia and New Zealand producers, distillers? Mm. And, and, we, you know, and we were busy saying in that episode, Josh and I had been hoping to get down there, as we like to call it, um, sometime yeah. in 2020. It didn't work out. Who knows what 2021 is going to look like? But we are hearing from more and more people that there's a scene and there's a fanaticism. And our our good Mm. friend Lee Atwood at Backwoods Distilling in Australia, we've spoken with him on the podcast. So you're a Kiwi, you're a man with an eye on, on ultimately one day, sometime in the future, getting that New Zealand distillery going. What are you seeing down there? And are you surprised by it? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm back home now, right? So I'm I'm not in Scotland. I'm I'm back in New Zealand, and um, I've 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 kind of read. I've kind of. Dis- I feel like I've discovered what's happening here because I've for, for so long it's been been from afar, and, and and now and now I'm home, and um, I'm able to to go and visit some of these places. So I, you know, in terms of discovering, I think in terms of New Zealand and Australia, I think New Zealand for some time has been quite far behind uh, you know, Australian whiskey making, and I was speaking to a brilliant compliance um, fire safety specialist. Uh, a guy called Rex a few weeks ago with the intention of my own place. And I thought, well, now's the time to actually start while you're in, in the country, why don't you speak to these people? And one of the reasons he held up there for the, for the, for the lag between New Zealand and Australian whiskey was it distilling was so poorly understood in New Zealand as an actual thing that the law didn't exist within the country on how to govern so, you know, if you dive into our whiskey history in the 1860s, we had, you know, we, we, most of our population that came out here were from Scotland, our, our, our British population, and they brought with them their whiskey making traditions. And, you know, it, did, it took about 20 years before they started building bricks and mortar distilleries. So we had one in Auckland called Crown and one in the South Island called Dunedin Distillery. And these were, these were proper proper distilleries they were they 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 had markets in the country and we, they had a tax advantage versus scotch which was being brought in so they're undercutting the scotch market and then there's a there's a great uh, great legend in new zealand distilling our tiny little circle now where you know, at the time the story goes that um richard seddon who's prime minister wanted to borrow money from the bank of england to fund the railway development in the country bank of england had just funded like a land war here so they said on you on you go so you went to the to, uh, bank of scotland and bank of scotland with its deep pockets and, and whiskey said well you've got a protective tariff take that away and we'll lend you the money and then within three years all the distilleries were gone now i can't find the evidence to this but this is this is you know how 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 um how how legends are born i'd love to mm-hmm. love to release a release a whiskey called revenge or something like that <laughs> in, in this room. so um yeah you know, <laughs> fast forward <laughs> all the way to now but that 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 shutting down in the industry then you know only came back when we had when we had Willowbank Lamalaw, now known as New Zealand Whiskey Company, then that disappeared in '97 in a corporate takeover. So, what was what I what I learnt was that it was at, at almost it was at a council level that distilling regulations were set, because the central government mm. level um, had, was borrowing legislation that they had cut and pasted from Australia, and that that had been that had been something that the New Zealand whiskey scene had to play their tune to up until the mid you know, 2015 when all of that legislation got put under health and safety and you can hear me tremble and shiver because health and safety what they said is went no this is this is one these are chemicals and two this is an explosive substance so all the distilleries that were, were being onboarded then all these all these these plans were slammed with having to meet these explosive proof building codes just to operate and we all know mm-hmm. that's not what happens with distilleries so just just like shining a torch on that this this kind of rapid renaissance of new zealand whiskey distilleries coming through now is because that legislation has been removed and it's been replaced with common sense gotcha, and so gotcha. yeah and so so what 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 we're seeing is like what, what i'm seeing is is you know these distilleries which have kind of just been these little whispers of things 
are actually really becoming things. So, you know, the, there's there's Matt Thompson and, and his place, and he's he's doing his work. He's a pioneer of what we have back home. But, you know, I, I came home uh, with my partner, Liv, right? She's she's from, like I said, she's from Gloucestershire. And we where I live in New Zealand, we're way out in the country. Like, it is so isolated out here. There's got to be 20 people in the village. And, you know, it is really... It's, it's, it's great being home. But, you know, she's a little bit like, so we left London and... <laughs> There are hobbits running so I, through the backyard. <laughs> so, so I've been, I've, I've like, I've, I've got to show this girl my country. I've got to show her my home. So I took her to to Waiheke, and Waiheke, for those who don't know, it, is an island in Waitemata Harbour, which is Auckland's Auckland's harbour where all the Americans cap yacht racing is at the moment. And it's most well known for being really kind of a place where people who are a bit out there, a bit green, a bit go your own path, like to go. That was originally it, and now it's got some of the country's best vineyards on it so it's a it's a really cool place to go like it's, it's not very big um and so fine good eating but really laid back great wines all that kind of thing and i had in my head i was like oh, there's some there's some people out there called waiheke whiskey so i hit them up on instagram and there's like fuck all posts so i just thought oh, i'll just send them a message i was like hey look um <laughs> You know, I'm I'm interested in coming and seeing you distill it. You know, all of you whiskey geeks listening to the show right now know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I'd like to come and see whiskey. I thought I thought oh, I'll lay it on a bit thick. Um, I work in Scotch whiskey, blah blah blah, <laughs> and I get this lovely. <laughs> I, I get this get this lovely message back a few, halfway through the holiday, um, or just before we arrive, saying, "Oh, hey, we hardly ever check Instagram." Tick. Um, uh, if you want to stop by, uh, we're going out for beers this afternoon, but we'll be around the distillery tomorrow, and it's here. So, so I've asked Liv. I said, "Look, do you want to go?" And she's like, you know, "She's never been to one before, and she's just she sees my whiskey life as this kind of you know, thing which makes me hungover sometimes." And uh, so she's like, "Yeah, that, that'd be cool." So we've 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 toddled along. It was in between. Uh, it's right next to Motu Vineyard, which is one of the big vineyards. And it's there's a, there's a shed up the back, and we've just driven up. And um, we met Rosie, who was outside on her phone. And she's just like, yeah, I'll be with you in a second. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. We're here. And, you know, we've kind of just, just walked into this thing. And, you know, there's, there's this weird ass still sitting on the side, which, you know, <laughs> I'm speaking to this bloke who's speaking a million miles a minute about how proud he is of his whiskey. And then I've clicked that, shit, this guy, Mark, he's the actual founder. They've got all their casks out, all, all, all 70 of them. And they're, they're, they're busy, they're busy, they're, they're taking samples on each of them. And, you know, Mark's like, did you see the spirits still? And I'm like, I can't see the spirits still, actually. He's like, oh, it's just outside. And I'm like... What the fuck? Is, what the fuck is <laughs> it doing outside? <laughs> of course, it's outside. So we've walked outside, and he's got this spirit still. And I mean, you, like they, they've they've only just put up their website, so you can find it there. There's nothing on social. I mean, you can find it on my social. There's all these video feeds. So if you if you look me up, you want to see it. It's, it's all there. But he's they 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 had this idea where they he, he was making whiskey and in a garage. It was his passion. He's a surgeon, so he has a really tough, normal life. He's like, you know, normal life for me isn't that like it's like it's it's hard, and so I, I put all of my all of my energy into this thing where I get to create and I get to make, and uh, he, 
he got this guy, is it one of his mates, and I call him Whiskey Jesus because that's what he looks like. And this engineer, kind of American techie dude, I forget his name. He's like, right, you need you need to make these like hex hexagonal still, and they've made this like still which is made of all these triangular panels. They've done it in a vacuum. Like they've just done done the stuff themselves. And this is typical Kiwi number eight wire attitude. Like, oh yeah, she'll be right. We'll make it. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I can see all this epoxy resin down the seams because it it, it shits shits itself every now and again, and it will blow it'll blow a rivet, and then like vapor will go out the side. And even even Rosie Rosie's like, check out this video from when we did our first distillation, and they've they've got it running. I'm looking at this video from ten years ago, <laughs> and then you hear them go, oh shit, it's leaking, and it's. <laughs> so I'm just I just like. I am loving this. I am like, this is incredible. You didn't, you, you didn't get a bunch of cash and go up to Forsyth and just slap down yeah. a whiskey yeah. distillery. <laughs> you, you, you had no idea what you're doing. You built it yourself. And I was like, what, what a beautiful, what a beautiful story. And, and I, I, there's like this. So we got, we got into, we got into the liquid and, 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 and Mark, you know, he 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 he's like show he's he's like we're just doing Pete. Pete's what I love, and he kept sharing me his like French oak unpeated stuff. He's like, nah, don't like it, and chucking it on the ground. <laughs> and and then we go back to <laughs> then we go through his Pete one. His, it, it's and I just was like, holy shit! And I just said, you know, you make me really proud to be a Kiwi. This this is this is this is a whiskey because the quality's there. The passions there, the missions there, the vision is there. Even even the street cred to build this yourself, right? Like it's all, it's all this beautiful new world journey. Like it, it made me made me think of Chip Tate and him bu- building his stills. And I was just like, I was like, do you, do you know about balconies? He's like, Bell what? And then it's like, mate, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> So we've got we've got all these little distills. Now they're not all like Mark on Waiheke whiskey, but we've got these uh-huh. these very small projects which they're very closely tied to the land. So sure, um, sure. you know, there's there's one which I've seen called Lammermore, which is on a farm in the South Island in the deep south, and they they're growing their own grain because that's what they they've always done, and they just were like, look, we we want to do this thing, you know. And, and I've got a lot of respect for these 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 small distilleries who are really trying to 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 walk their own path. I mean, Matt Thompson, he's done um, he's done some work on Manuka. So Manuka, most people are familiar with it as the honey. But yeah. the um, the wood that we use, we use it to smoke fish. You know, it's got this beautiful uh, aromatic flavors okay. to it. Yeah, and so so he he's looking at that direction, and then then Mark over in Waiheke, he's really focusing on New Zealand peat. New Zealand peat is completely different than what you get in Scotland. You know, basically, the center of the North Island is a giant peat bog, which is made full of like Cody forests and all these podocarp forests, which have fallen in there over time. So there is this sweet gentleness to to our our peat which you just you know it doesn't have the heather fragrance and it doesn't have or the peat he's using the moment doesn't have that kind of sea iodine depth to it um Mm -hmm. it has this this really interesting interesting round middle ground and so there's and, and and what i what i do like is these distillers are spread up and down the country so they know each other but they're very beholden to different 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 terrains and environments you know distilling in the deep south you know Cadrona down there right next to the ski field 
is a much different proposition to distilling a Waiheke, which has, you know, almost a subtropical microclimate and mm-hmm. the maturation spaces that, you know, we've got, we got, and, and where, where Mark is, you know, your maturation space is going his angel share is, is, is about between 15 and, and 18%. Whereas, you know, all the way, way down, down in the deep South, you, you're looking at more Scot- Scottish maturation. So I think there's, there's lots of interesting things which are starting to come, but there's also this, you know, New Ze- I, what I found in, in exploring New Zealand whiskey makers is this like, we're making whiskey, we're, but but what now? <laughs> like, there's, do do you think do you think people do you think people will want to buy this overseas? You know, I was on the phone with Mark last night. And he's like, do you think do you think I could export it? And I was like, mate, are you fucking kidding me? You have, of course, <laughs> like because we're so far away. We're so yeah. far away, right? Yeah. I mean, here's a story. So he's telling me that they 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 shanghaied themselves down to um, to uh, whiskey galore down in down in uh, the South Island and they took whiskey Jesus with them and he's clanking around with their, with, with some of their spirit and, and they, they, they hadn't paid for a stand and Mark was like, look, just, just whatever you do, don't speak to anyone. Like we've, we've got the spirit here. We'll just show it to a few people. We'll try and get some validation. And, but the bottles were making so much noise that one of them would like took his tramping socks off and goes, just put the bottles in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I'm, I'm stealing, I'm stealing Mark's thunder, but he's, he said, you know, you know, Nick, the next thing I knew was in walks Dave Broom, Dave's walking in with the, you know, his entourage of followers or like Dave Broom, Dave Broom, Dave Broom. <laughs> and then I turn around and there's Whiskey Jesus handing him the stinky tramping sock. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I was doing what you do. I was just losing it. And, and apparently to his, to his credit, Dave's taking it out. Tastes it and goes, it's pretty good. <laughs> and then and then and then whiskey whiskey Jesus goes, you can keep it and keep the sock. And they walked off and he's dead. <laughs> oh, we're talking to Dave real soon. We'll have to ask him about that. I that just just ask him. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So you know, oh. here here in New Zealand, there is, uh, I think. As a, as a summary, there are there are a number of very interesting producers. Um, some are tying their journey back to uh, you know we 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 we've had a, a moonshine period here as well, where the Scots and 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 their and their and their children would make their the whiskies that they used to make back home. Remember, they came off the clearances, right? So yeah. you know, they're coming straight from making whiskey that way in the Highlands. Them just doing it over here. Um, so there's, you know, the South Island distilleries are really, really touching, touching on that. Reefton's got a really good heritage. I mean, I have been in Whiskey Geek Heaven because I've discovered like the National Archive of Newspapers has now been digitized. And so I've been looking for moonshine, but that wasn't what, what it was called. It was called, it just called it in those papers, it's called Illicit Stills. And so there's all these brilliant references oh. of these pockets of, of Scots and Irish immigrants getting busted with their, their illicit stills. <laughs> and then, and then you know, we, yeah, here, here, here we are today with 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 that journey to look back on. And then there's there's other more more progressive uh, distills. I'd say Matt Thompson, he he feels very very progressive. And Mark at Waiheke, you know, he's really zeroed in on what he wants to do. He's I just want to explore Pete. That's what I love. I want to explore New Zealand, Pete. I want to do it on my island. I want to see how this all all hangs together. Um, and that's Smart. that's cool. And I. 
it's and it, but it also differs from from that Bill Lark influence that I see with Tasmanian distillers. You know, there's 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 you know, like there's different mindsets, very individual mindsets, and people have come into their whiskey journey in different ways, um, which uh, I think I think is fascinating and is going to make for a different kind of. Mm, here we go, mind terror for. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, we could have given you a drum roll in the lead up to that as well. <laughs> yeah, for, for New Zealand whiskey making. I mean, shit, going out to see Mark at Waiheke, when we did that, I mean, Liv and I spent the better part of our morning with him. This is the other bit. Was And then the next day, he's like, mate, just want to come around for brekkie and coffee. Yeah, and then we went around and we, yeah, he's like, oh, should we go down on the beach and go for a paddle? And that's the Kiwi way. You know, we, we and then we had caught up with him for dinner the next night and of course there was whiskey chats but it was just chats and the whiskey was part of the conversation but it wasn't driving the conversation it was just part of the fabric of the world and um, I, I think that's also something which will will set us apart as hopefully a whiskey producing nation it's definitely something that I want to bring into 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 my distillery when I get the chance to do it well, Joshua and I have, have said it before and we'll say it again. We cannot wait to get down there and explore this and meet the people and just have those chats and taste those whiskies and observe the points of difference, but also be out and about again and seeing other human beings and learning yeah. stories. Just like, you know, I, I love the opening of this this chat with you where learning your story is, is what this is all about. And <laughs> I, I want to yeah. do it more and go and see more people, but one day, one day. It was nice to be a fly on the wall of your conversation with Nick. As, Thank you. As, as much as I would have loved to have been there, and, and in all honesty, uh, I really would have loved to have been there. I was desperately looking forward to this because you're right. Every time we had a meet a meeting scheduled, something would pop up. I already had something planned or, you know, whatever, family stuff, you know, whatever the case is. And so I was really, really looking forward to this. I'd cleared my calendar, everything, and then, you know, nature happened. Um, but what a brilliant conversation. And and I see what you say. He's He's just easy. He's just easy. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Feelingly honest, straightforward, transparent. Discussing the future plan for Holyrood mm. was absolutely captivating. But then also, you've got a chap who's not afraid to talk about his own hopes mm. and dreams for the future, mm -hmm. even beyond Holyrood. You know, to to be so dedicated and to be so in the moment with Holyrood, but then also talking about what a future return to New Zealand would look like, building his own distillery, operating his own distillery. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to hear that and wonderful to, to encounter that level of honesty as well. And, and as I said a moment ago, transparency. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, the fact that you mentioned that, that sort of looking, looking to the future, I thought, that that end bit was in and of itself a slightly different conversation. And so I'm actually going to, just so you're aware and so the listeners are aware, 
I'm going to detach that from the entire conversation. So after we're done, you'll hear what what Nick is looking forward to, and it's there's a, there's there's a good few minutes dedicated to that conversation. Well, the the good news he he talks about a future that is more than just that. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was. Yeah, he he gave a thoughtful answer to the question, mm-hmm. uh, which we always appreciate. So yeah, we'll we'll return to Nick a little later in this episode, but in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Better wake up the paper boy. Extra, extra, we all are life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble again. Extra. I'll tell you what's not fake news, Joshua. Oh, could it be alternative facts? I tell you what's not alternative facts, Joshua. Oh, I like, I like where this is going. Go ahead. We have been celebrating. A four-month suspension of the punitive 25% Trump tariffs mm-hmm. on Scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. That is so... What, let me add really quickly, really, really, really quickly. When you read that news, maybe it wasn't at that moment, because I think I woke you with that news. I texted it to you. Um what did you pour in celebration? <laughs> it's not so much what I poured in the moment, it's what I haven't stopped pouring since. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what was interesting, and you are right, uh, I did wake up to the text from you. And in the SWA, Scotch Whiskey Association, press release, they talked about the 16 months that yeah. the... the that the tariffs had been in place. I I had a hard time believing it was as few as 16 months. Feels much It longer. has felt yeah. like three years, partly because the tariffs ended up on top of a pandemic. Yeah. But the whole thing, the whole enterprise felt a lot more than 16 months. And, you know, if people go back in time from the future... And they look at this 16-month period. As one reads that in the future, it'll just simply look like a blip on a radar. Yeah. And yet, living through it, it partly because it never felt like it was going to end. Mm-hmm. And even when it, quote-unquote, ended, it's still only a suspension. So the sword of Damocles does continue to <laughs> dangle above us. Yes, it does. <laughs> the sword of Damocles is hanging over my head. And I've got the and, and one of the things we have done, and a number of our, of our partners, both in Scotland and in the United States, have reached out with the news to say, hey, let's move. Let's do things. Let's get going. Let's stop mm-hmm. this pause. Let's stop this slowdown. Let's get back to business. And with Brexit now happening east and south of the United Kingdom, we have some temporary relief west of the United Kingdom. Right. And at least in my mind, I'm treating it as as four months. I I don't necessarily believe that it that they're going to be lifted permanently. I do fear that they're going to come back. 
So with that in mind, you and I, as soon as we heard this news that the tariffs were being paused, we said, okay, now let's take a look at what our next retail release is going to look like. Let's take a look at what our next two U.S. retail releases are going to look like, because we have this four-month window in which to get it over (laughs) to try to, you know, start selling whiskey at prices that the prices they're meant to be. And so without giving any details of the release itself, know that we've solidified release number seven, six different casks in there. And we are getting close to finalizing what release number eight for the U.S. will look like. So it's exciting. It's exciting times. And, and in a way, I'm I'm slightly thankful for four months. I'm slightly thankful for this this fear that they'll return because it's lighting a fire under our asses to make sure that we're we're really taking care of business here and getting the whiskey stateside ASAP. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at all the samples we selected sitting yeah. on my desk yeah. here and just yeah. and just being excited after, you know, release six was whenever release six was and then to to start this year, we had six and a half, which is the you know we call that internally the Harry Potter release, uh, even if it's not quite you know six and three quarters or nine and three quarters. But um, looking at the seventh, eyeballing the eighth, working with Jess on rest of the world release three, and and then also working with a kind of a, a new hire who has not yet been announced, but will in due course. Uh, working on casks for the Caspic program as well. So, gosh, there's a lot of whiskey and rum floating around mm-hmm. uh, within Single Cask Nation at the moment. And, and, and I, I think you'll be okay with me teasing this, but this new brand that we're looking at launching Q3, mm-hmm. you know, third quarter after the summer, that's not going to be impacted by tariffs either so long as they do go away and they don't exactly. unpause after four months and that's that's really really good news and that will become clear to the listeners once the release once the launch comes about it will become clear why there's no room for tariffs there indeed yeah indeed but i'm excited excited to move forward joshua as am i speaking of moving forward that's really all the news we have. So I'd like to move forward to the mail portion because we did, we actually got in a few emails. There's two I wanted to highlight for this episode, or I should say there's two that we wanted to highlight for this episode. And then there's actually a third one that is, that's definitely worth reading, but because Nick's interview is a bit longer than some of the others, we're just trying, we're being cognizant of your time, dear listeners. So... Uh, Jason, did you want to read the first bit of email? If listeners recall back in our mailbag episode, Mm. we got a couple of emails from Jigs over in the Philippines. Yep. And and those were lovely emails and we thoroughly enjoyed covering them. And Jigs wrote in. And I'm not going to say why Jigs wrote in because I'm going to read the email (laughs) and make it clear why Jigs wrote in. So Jiggs writes, hello again, J, J, and J. 
Parentheses. See, I'm not drunk. Ha ha. That's the spirit. <laughs> I can get behind that. Then into the email. I listened to your mailbag episode a few days after you posted them. And I'm writing now to thank you for the time you gave to answer them. Them being his questions. The answers you provided have been eye-opening mm. exclamation point. Oof. Look at that. That's, that's mean, high praise. I meant it. I like that. Now, I realize that the central consideration when choosing between an OB and IB, official bottling and independent bottling, should not be the retailer, but the character of the spirit. After all, both kinds of bottlings only offer different experiences of the same distillery spirit, regardless of how that spirit was acquired or matured. Marvellous. And I love the fact that Jiggs gives marvellous its own sentence. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks to you guys, I no longer need to buy cream to fix up these burning questions. <laughs> I look forward to the next time I get to participate in your conversations. I wish you all the best with the podcast and with SCN. Cheers, Jigs. That's, that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. In returning to the, the middle portion of Jigs's email here, mm-hmm. Where, where he writes, I realise that the central consideration when choosing between an OB and an IB should not be the retailer, but the character of the spirit. My take there is instead of the word retailer, I think what Jiggs is going for is the person doing the selling. Whether it's coming from a distillery, whether it's coming from an independent bottler, pay attention to the character of the spirit. Don't be so focused, because he does go on to say, Mm. regardless of how that spirit was acquired or matured. Uh, So let the spirit speak for itself. Let that cask represent itself. So don't be swayed by, was it distillery? Was it an independent? But instead say to yourself, what's going on in here? What's happening? This reminds me of something that, and as soon as I say this person's name, you're going to know exactly what I'm about to say. Our good friend, Gene Sharness from Warehouse Liquors, will always say to us, don't let facts get in the way of flavor. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's that's what I'm hearing here. And, And I'll tell you really quickly, before we go to the next email, I was in a, a Pandaren tasting just the other day, and, and David Cover, who we've had on, on the pod before, was talking to us about the various casks that they have in their store. And, you know, their stuff is verging on 21 years now. Come September, they will have 21-year-old Pandaren sitting in their warehouse. And he was he was telling us, and he actually may have mentioned it in the podcast, that, you know, him and, and, and Mike Wheeler and I think Ista, who's their master blender, went through and, and tasted a bunch of the old casks, the 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old stuff. And now here's where he needs facts getting in the way of the flavor. He said this, you know, the 16, 17, 18-year-old stuff was delicious, but it could have been from anybody. Right at that point, oh, the whiskey lost its pandaraniness. 
Mm. And so mm-hmm. in his case, he needs the facts to be there. And if that if that pandariness is gone, how do they tell that story about that cask, right? And you can tell. It's just how do you want hmm. to tell that story? So so I, I guess you can look at it in, in a couple of different ways. Well, I think it maybe speaks to that tradition of Scottish independent bottling where you do want to know the distillery. Mm. You, you, know, you do want to know who produced this as well as when they produced it and how they stored it, mm. how they matured it. Those are important details. But you certainly shouldn't be swayed by whether it's coming from an official distillery no, line definitely not. No. or an independent line. Definitely. Having said that, and we've discussed this many, 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 many times, you do want to purchase from independent bottlers with whom you share a similar palate. Mm-hmm. That That's just common sense and how you spend your money. But thinking that either official or independent, one is better than the other, I, I don't think holds water. Yeah. And that's what we got into in the answer exactly. we gave in the mailbag. Exactly, two exactly, exactly. Beautiful. Cool. So, next. So, the next question is from uh, a newer listener, a guy by the name of Ben Smith. Okay. The subject reads, Ushkaba, or Ushkabeta. Wait, there's Ushkaba, but what's the two words? Ushkabeta? That's pronounced ba. B-E-A-T-H-E. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pronounced ba. Okay, so usually when I've seen uskaba, it's been like the blend, like the uskaba blend, where it's all one word. So I didn't know if when it's separated into two words, if it had a slightly different pronunciation. Okay. No, and here's the funny thing. See, whenever I say uskaba, in my head, I'm imagining two words. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. So it's like uh, it's like whiskey and whiskey then. There you go. Okay. So the subject is Uskaba slash etymology of whiskey question. Mm, This is going to get controversial real fast. Real fast. Hi, Joshua and Jason. Well, no, I'd say you started off pretty well there. (laughs) I'm a whiskey-obsessed American who lives in Scotland and recently became one of your newest devoted listeners. Welcome. Yeah, welcome indeed. You both really dig into the topics and questions that are near and dear to my heart, and I thank you for it. I preface my question by first asking for forgiveness if the following is already covered ground, as I've yet to listen to every episode in the treasure trove that is your archives. (laughs) All right, here's... here's, That makes two of us, Ben. (laughs) Here's where it gets really interesting. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me that Jason's pronunciation of the word whiskey begins with an H sound, much like the character <laughs> Stewie on Family Guy pronounces Quilhuiten, <laughs> and similar words beginning with a W. Cool whip. Cool whip. Huit then. And he goes on. He says, whereas I haven't often noted the same pronunciation of the word whiskey here in Scotland. I couldn't help but notice that Dr. Bill Lumsden's diction is similar to Jason's. Whereas, oh, thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> Vindication this day. <laughs> uh, 
Where, where did Bill say he's from? He's not from Glasgow. He didn't. Oh, he he didn't. didn't. Yeah, there's, there's, that is definitely not a Glaswegian accent, but... No, he's not. No. Yeah. No. Okay, anyway. Whereas I know and understand that Dr. Bill's vast knowledge, expertise, and accomplishments could never hold a candle to that of Jason's, hearing them both say <laughs> whiskey in that way got me to thinking. <laughs> All right, so, so this, this is him setting up for the question, right? Hearing the two of you say whiskey instead of whiskey. All right, there's your setup. And now he says... Now, we all know that Gaelic for aquavite is uskaba, and mm-hmm. that this eventually morphed into the word whiskey. Call it an epiphany, but I've only just now realized that ushka begins <laughs> with the same H sound that Jason and Dr. Bill put before whiskey. Ushka. Yeah, it's like a, like a, you have to breathe into it. Like a whiskey, uskaba. That's interesting. So, here he goes. In only just now connecting these dots, I ask, (laughs) have I been butchering the word whiskey all this time? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then he he asks, and then he he digs deeper. Uh To be righteous and pure... Must we all henceforth follow Jason's lead and only do as he does in things? WWJD, what would Jason do? I tell you, that's that's what it's always been. Some people turn that into another use. I tell you, Ben. But for me, it's always been what would Jason do? Ben is really stroking your ego here. Um, he's stroking your ego big time. Um, that would explain why my ego just became so big. <laughs> Need a moment to yourself? Anyway. Yeah, let me just grab a cushion. <laughs> you didn't pull out that ego for air. Um, so, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I don't know if I'll keep that one in. Um, I like that one. I did too. So he goes yeah. on. Well, we're, we're not done yet. We're not done. Lastly, and if this lasts longer than four hours, I'm going to have to seek medical intervention. <laughs> and, and this really is the uh, the most important part of the. Of okay, the so he's about to use your name. Okay, yeah. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, and this is a qu- <laughs> and this is a question specifically for Joshua. Uh huh. Predictable. <laughs> Although I know it's more of a request. Can you please make Jason say Will Wheaton like a lot, (laughs) as in a whole bunch of times on your upcoming episode? (laughs) Hmm. Jason, to your your knowledge, have there been any known uh, actors who've worked with Stone Brewing in the past? Um, He's a Star Trek guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, Wesley Crusher. Oh. Sorry, Wesley Crusher. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking more Leonard Nimoy, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it's not Leonard Nimoy. It's it's Will Wheaton. Oh, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Mm. Will Will Wheaton. Yeah, around our house we always say, uh, "Yeah, yeah, you still working on that book? Yeah, you still working on that book?" So got characters in it. 
other characters? <laughs> Is there a story? Are you writing a story? Are you building a story? Hmm? Hmm? That's the one we always quote around this parts. But however, cool whip is definitely something mm. that we all lean on around mm. these parts. Mm. Cool whip. And now I'm going to end his his email. He says, many thanks. Ciao for now. And he spells now like ciao, but with an N instead of a C. <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> and then, and there's a PS, because there's always a good postscript to, to any good email. Okay. I'm glad that we all agree Corey is better than Oogie. It never ceases to amaze me how many people in this world get that wrong. <laughs> now, if only we could decide if shampoo or conditioner is better, I might finally be able to get some sleep at night. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, that was excellent. Yeah, yeah that was good. That good, was well good, done. good fun. Yeah. yeah. So do, do I pronounce it funny? Like... As you're going around in your whiskey world, are you drawn All to... the time. Every word that has a W-H in it, you pronounce with an H-W. My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? I just don't get why you're saying it that way. Why I'm saying what, what way? Forget it. I will. I will forget it. Like when you say what, what. Do I say what? You just did? It's, it's interesting because my brother would always pronounce the word open as if the E and the N had been reversed in it. Like opne? But, like it would never be quite that horrific, but <laughs> but it it would always sound reversed. It was always the weirdest weirdest sound, and he didn't really do it with any other words. Huh. But but open is always a word that I remember my brother pronouncing kind of funny, and so I don't really think about where I'm putting my emphasis mm. on my whes. But just when you talk about the HW, mm-hmm. seems to be the order of them. It's you, interesting. You just did I, it. I, you just said, just when you talked about doing it, <laughs> it's all the time. <laughs> it's so tough because I get such compliments on this accent. But uh, yeah, the fact it's making me sound like a dumb fuck might be, uh, <laughs> maybe people are just patronizing me. Um what else? What else? No, I will. I'll also go on to say this. This will now have me fixating because in the mailbag episode, who was it that wrote in about the the use of rich? Was that balancer? That was balancer. Yes. Yeah. And so I have now paid attention to to almost nothing besides our use of rich or or if I'm watching yeah. TV yeah. and yeah. someone uses rich, I, know. I am so hyper fixated on rich that 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 maybe this email from ben is just what i needed to get rich out of my head and now i'll I'll focus on the wh i kind of like the wh i mean it it makes you sit it just makes you sound like you 
you know, may have more money than me, you know, I just to kind of like that. It oh, gives okay. You this oh, it's like, a quite, quite the opposite there's of, a, of a, dumb fuck. Although we live in a world where apparently all the dumb fucks have the money. Something's gone horribly wrong in the world. Something's gone horribly wrong. But yeah, it has this kind of like, you know, smart people wear glasses kind of mm. feel to it, you know? Oh gosh. Okay. I will, I will, I will reinvest my efforts in acquiring more tweed to go with my, my what? Now, if you start saying words like bottle instead of bottle or bottle, mm. then then I may then I may you know have to roll up a sleeve because no one should say bottle bottle same as butter. You know, butter. I would say butter. Growing up in my house, you say butter. I was butter. Really? Yeah, to yeah, say butter, butter. butter. There's two T's. Yeah, butter. butter. It's B U D D E R butter. Yeah, see, that's also incorrect. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Listen, Jason, we can go on yes, and on. Joshua. But you have the can rest. Can I tell you real oh, fast? Oh, shit, yeah. Real fast. Oh, you s- yes, go. You say go on and on. We, uh, I, I did a tasting the other evening mm. where the host of it dropped me a note and said, okay, the schedule is for you to present the five whiskies over 45 minutes and then take a few minutes for Q&A. And Jesus. I I read I read his email and laughed. I just laughed. Yeah. And and at the point at which we hit 45 minutes we were just about halfway through the third of five whiskies. I'm surprised you got that far in 45 minutes. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I was impressed with my own efforts, to be honest. Wow. I got out of that tasting after one hour and 40 minutes. And I purposely drew attention at multiple points to his request and my own attempts to get through five whiskeys as quickly as I could. Mm. And I made the comment that it takes me 45 minutes to say hello. And unfortunately, I'm not blessed with that affliction in any other realms. Mm. And so I, I, I cherish it in the realm in which I do have it. But everyone in the tasting was happy. The host was over the moon. I took questions all the way through the tasting. And when I got out of it, my wife had said to me, I thought that was just going to be 45 minutes. With a Q&A. And I said, oh yeah, that, that was never going to happen. <laughs> and her comment was, here, let me give you... Christ, what was her comment? I've totally butchered this. What was her comment? Yeah. Yeah. Here. <laughs> it's, this isn't going to work at all. Uh, it's working so far. <laughs> here. <laughs> Go on, Jimmy the Fallon. Just give the punchlines. <laughs> the year doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, allow me to give you double what you paid for, which now just makes me sound like a, one of your cheap French girls. But that's not what I was going for. I, I want to be one of your expensive French girls. But anyway, so yes, when you say we, we can go on, we can. But invariably the feedback comes back that people have enjoyed it and it has been worth their time listening to us going on and our our humor our passion our knowledge and our expertise are often quoted back at us often often 
I want to get us out of here on this. Checks out. And you and I, which means you're going to have to turn around and grab a bottle. We need to raise a glass to the good Harvey Fry. I'm going to pick something from his favorite distillery. What? What's that? <sighs> a little spring. You know what? I'm going to pour the same spring bank as you. You want to tell us about this? Nope. Nope. All right. <laughs> Harvey's favorite distillery. And if you asked him for his favorites, he would give the same order every single time. I'm not going to give the order. But number one was always Springbank. Always. And, and unfortunately, over the decade that I've known him, we haven't bottled any Springbank. And, and Springbank pricing just becomes more and more and more astronomically bad. But I have poured a little single cask Springbank mm -hmm. at this moment to remember Harvey by. As of high. And this is one of my all-time favorite Springbanks. Really remarkable. Yeah. Never got a chance to pour this for him either, so yeah. it will live as something he would have loved without actually being put through the ringer of Harvey Fry's palate. So we'll say yeah. to Harvey, yeah. and then we'll let Nick get us out of here as he looks to the future. What do we say? What do you, what do you say? I'm terrible at these things. What would you say as a, as a college-educated man? I've always been taught to judge a man, a woman, a person by the number of people who show up at their funeral mm. to pay their final regards. And Harvey will be cremated during a global pandemic. Yeah. There will not be anybody at his funeral. But when the pandemic allows and we all come back out from under our rocks there will be a celebration of Harvey in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And it is going to be insane. It is going to be an off-the-hook, old-school whiskey industry send-off mm. to somebody who is loved and cherished. And I will be a part of it. You will be a part of it. Indeed. Many, many of our friends will be a part of it and it will all speak to the man, the myth, the legend that was Harvey Fry. And so wherever he finds himself currently, I drink this in memory and in honour of him. Cheers, Harvey. Cheers, Harvey. So listen, our, our connection is trying to shit the bed as, as much as it possibly can here. Uh, and we've, we've chatted for a fair bit here. So unfortunately, I'm going to wrap it up. But we always get out of here with the, the same question. And uh -oh. I, I can only imagine the things you're going to say here because I, I feel like this whole interview has answered this question. But maybe you'll have some other uh -oh. things on okay. top. Looking, looking forward, looking into the crystal ball, whiskey-wise, what are you most excited about? 
as you as you peer into the future? Oh, geez, oh, um, I yeah, I I think you'd assume <laughs> that I'd know what I was going to answer, but now I'm like, what? <laughs> I I think I think I think it's there's 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 two there's two two bits to it, and it's all it's all centered around like the the new producers, and um, and I think there is something to be said of the new world producers in old world whiskey countries and the new world producers in new world whiskey countries. I'm excited to see the development of their ideas and the maturing of, of, of those ideas. You know, I've been excited about American small whiskey producers for some time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when I was, when I was at Atom, you know, we worked with some, with some great producers, New York distilling company, seeing empirical rye become a thing. Fuck, that's really cool. You know, working with the crew over a few, when I was in Norway, working with Balconies and even, even in Atom and all of those whiskies have got something to say. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think as we get further down this journey and, um, new, new world, just uh, new, new distillers within old world whiskey making spaces, start to really see that that they've they are making a difference in adding to that old world whiskey making story and transforming some of that stuff from the past i think that's 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 something i'm i'm really excited about and then just new world all the way like it's just always incredible to hear these pioneer stories right like we we don't get to hear pioneer stories from William Grant you know those guys are, are mm-hmm. long gone um, but we we get to we get to meet these people at the start of their journeys and that's I think that's a really 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 special opportunity you know I would have would have loved to have had a beer with Shinjiro Tori or Masataka Takatsuru back then when because mm-hmm. it, 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 when they were looking at their world and going yeah let's let's make whiskey like what the fuck like <laughs> tell me tell me get them on the podcast like let's do let's do a seance and chat to those guys I mean uh, some of the people we speak to now that's exactly what they're doing and I love the way you think about that because I think for some of us as we as we cut our teeth and as we move through our whiskey journey, we only believe in the old world, to use the language that, that you're using there. We only believe in the old world. We only believe in the traditional. And as we see the new come online, it's too easy to be dismissive of it. Oh, it's mm-hmm. just it's just new. They've just arrived. I love the way you talk of it. And, and I would say this, and I've said this to him, to his face, Trent Tilton, who I mentioned earlier at San Diego, spend time in front of Til- Trent and you're talking to a mad scientist who's just like, yeah. well, I could take this and I could put it with that and I could put it into that and, and let it sit and then that'll happen and this over here. And and I really, I'm going to carry that forward after chatting with you, this idea of talking to pioneers live, right, in yeah. the moment as yeah. they're starting yeah. that journey. That's very cool. I like that. I think, I mean, it's very influenced by kind of what we see here in our and in, in New Zealand space on on the wine side of things, right? You know, we, there's a lot of talk about across my entire lifetime about what New Zealand is as a new world wine producer. So that's yeah. that's really where that's influenced from. And you know, I think I, I think you're right. These pioneers, these are the moments to have those conversations. And then imagine talking about them to them ten years later. You're like, whoa, hey, you, you were talking about this. How do you feel about that now? And and just see see what what that what that what that conversation is like. I mean, 
that's what the whiskey thing is about to me. It's it's a journey. That's why we love it so much because it changes and morphs and grows and um, yeah, that's that's the that's pulls at the heartstrings for me. Well, you also just made me realise that Josh and I are ten years into this as well, and so we're a ten year independent Uh-oh. bottler, and we're always kind of looking. Well, we're not Caden Heads, right? We're not Douglas Lang. We're not Gordon McPhail. We don't have that multi generational history, but. We have worked our butts off for 10 years, and I yeah. can tell you the journey that we've taken in these 10 years. So, yeah, oh Christ, we're in this category. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. 100% you are. Absolutely. And, then, and you know, that's, that's something that, that you only get to do once, right? Like if you carry on single cast nation and I don't know who comes in behind you, if it's the yeah. the tall strip of a lad who came in his pants the other day, if if that's who you're leading your business to, he doesn't Just to be clear, that was my son. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant. You left the door brilliant. open on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should have closed it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, on that note, sir, I'm going to get us out of here. But thanks ever so much for your time. We wish you nothing but the best, both getting back to Scotland from New Zealand, but also with your work at Holyrood. And we continue to look forward to to working on projects together. It's really cool hanging out with you. It it is. And I can't wait. I say this every time we sign off, but I can't wait so we can do it in in real life and sit down with a beer. I I expect that will be a much shorter conversation because I feel that that would be a a pretty fun drinking (laughs) session that will end spectacularly. But, you know, I I appreciate appreciate the chat. And, um, yeah, uh, I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. (laughs) 